This meeting is being recorded. Welcome to Expert Views on ADR Ever, a podcast about simplifying alternative dispute resolution in a bid to attract more users to settle their disputes or conflicts with these alternatives, mediation, arbitration, negotiation, conciliation, and early neutral evaluation. My name is Chinwe Ebonike, postdoctoral fellow at the University of Brighton, United Kingdom. I'm excited to welcome Duncan Bakshet to the EVA show. He is a barrister and a partner with Howard Kennedy, a prestigious London-based full-service law firm. Duncan is a highly experienced lawyer who advises on large international disputes in arbitration and litigation proceedings. He handled he handles cases from all over the world and has particular experience in Africa, having lived and worked in the region and handled many disputes arising from African projects. He has worked on many cases involving African law and African seats of arbitration. Duncan wears many hats, so I've left the link to his profile below. Um, thank you so very much, Duncan, for agreeing to come on the show and stop sharing. Yeah. No problem, Jinwei. It's a pleasure. Good to be yes. here. Thank you so very much. So without further ado, let me go straight to the questions. Question one is, sure. has, um, how far has ADR been able to enhance access to justice in France and in the UK? Well, in the UK, which is, which is where I have most experience, yes. um, the, the courts have a very strong policy of encouraging the use of ADR to resolve disputes, uh, to avoid going all the way through the court system. They do that generally by pushing litigants to use mediation and other forms of alternative dispute resolution, and less by pushing litigants to use arbitration. The, the courts generally don't encourage parties to go to arbitration. Uh, that's because traditionally the view in, in England has been that unless you've chosen arbitration in your contract, Generally speaking, if you end up in the court, you will remain in the court system, but judges will encourage you to, you to see alternative routes to resolve your dispute, for example, mediation. Or there's also a, a quite a, a strong policy of encouraging parties to look at early neutral evaluation, which is where you go before a judge or another experienced lawyer and you ask them to comment on the strength and weaknesses of the cases so that the parties can get a better feeling for what would happen if they went to court. Oh, all right, thank you so very much. Um, so question number two, is there any measurable um, difference or impact on the cost and time frame of um, settling disputes under ADR compared to litigation? Uh, yes, it, it's, it's certainly a very different system under ADR compared to litigation, but ADR obviously has a number of forms. So how long things take and how much they cost is affected uh, strongly by which route you go down to resolve your dispute. So if I, if I deal with arbitration first, yeah. there used to be a traditional view that arbitration was faster and cheaper than litigation. That's no longer the case. Mm. Arbitration procedures generally are more complex than they used to be. They've been applied across a lot of different kinds of disputes. For example, they used to be focused typically on shipping disputes, construction disputes, things like that. Now they tend to cover any manner of different types of, of disputes. And so they tend to be similar to court cases in the way that they're handled. Court proceedings, on the other hand, now are a bit more tailored. 
so the courts in England and in France, they, they try to follow a procedure that reflects the size of the case and the complexity of the case. So in a lot of cases, they will get resolved quite quickly. Also in court, it's important to bear in mind that judges, if, if a case is before a judge which really has no merit at all, the judge will often uh, be willing to consider dismissing the case summarily without a long procedure, without hearing oral evidence from the parties or detailed argument. Um, and so that can actually cut the process short, even compared to arbitration, which usually goes all the way through to a, to a merits hearing. Um, mediation is generally the fastest way to resolve disputes because you don't have to get to a decision from a decision maker. The parties come together, they discuss their case, they often use a facilitator, a mediator to help them, but they're trying to resolve the dispute by agreement, so that means it can be done more quickly. The only qualification on that is that in mediation, generally you don't want to mediate too early, yeah. because if you do that, uh, the parties haven't yet got a feel for how strong the other party's case is. So they'll often take the view that they don't want to settle and compromise because they feel their case is very strong. If you let the case run for a little while, each party can put forward its arguments and both sides can consider those arguments to help them to make a judgment on the other side's case and where a reasonable settlement might be. And that will help them to, to agree and conclude the case. So as you mentioned, arbitration is now faster than the rest of the area. So in your what do you think? Do you think that arbitration should still be under ADR? That's a good question. I, I personally take the view that there, there should be a clear distinction between um, dispute resolution processes which end with a decision from a decision maker who, yeah. who listens to both sides' arguments and reaches a conclusion which is binding. And on the other hand, dispute resolution processes which help the parties to resolve the matter themselves by having an agreement. And I think if you distinguish in that way between the two types, it, it helps you firstly to understand what you're doing in each case, because sometimes people feel that maybe an arbitrator is really helping the parties to agree, which that's not correct. An arbitrator is like a judge, they decide the case. Um, so it helps people to understand the distinction between decision makers and facilitators. Um, and if you draw that distinction, you also, I think, you helpfully identify the different skills that you need in each case, because uh, an arbitrator should listen very carefully to the arguments, not express a view prematurely, and then come to a conclusion. A mediator is going to be helping the parties see the strengths and weaknesses in their case all the way through uh, to help them come to an agreement at the end. Okay. All right. Thank you so very much. So are employees or workers aware of ADR options regarding disputes or conflict that might arise in the workplace? Yeah. Um, certainly in the UK, I would say that employees generally get reasonably good support from mm. unions, if they're a member of a union, mm. sometimes from legal advice, which can be paid for by insurance policies. Quite often people have uh, home insurance policies or other policies that cover the cost of legal advice when they get into a difficulty with their employer. So that means people are quite well informed about procedures for resolving disputes. And any good lawyer or advisor on dispute resolution will want to make sure that their client knows that there are ways to resolve disputes other than fighting the case all the way through to a decision. Um, 
and it's really it's something I feel very strongly about um, is that parties should be aware of the energy and the brain space and the um, the demands of going through a contested case in in employment or any other field. It really is a, a, a quite a stressful process, and it requires quite a lot of investment of time. So people should understand that before they decide whether they want to fight their case or whether they want to settle and come to an agreement. Mm. Okay, thank you so very much. So to what extent are employees encouraged to use ADR to settle discrimination, bullying, harassment in the workplace? Um, France or, or UK is the giving contest. Yeah, yeah. In, in, in both places, yeah. um, I know that in, employees are encouraged uh, quite strongly to use ADR of one form or another hmm. to settle workplace issues. Okay. Um, in, in England, for example, in the employment context, there are generally good policies with employers that have procedures in place where the issue is explored internally, uh, discussed and considered by the employer, often with the support of an external person to help the employee to feel that they're represented. Could be a union representative, could be a solicitor or another lawyer, um, it could just be an advisor of some kind, or even just giving the employee the opportunity to have a, a confidant who, who can come and be with them when they're going through this process. A lot of that happens internally before anything gets anywhere near an employment tribunal or another court. And the same, the same is true in France. Um, yeah. There, there are good policies in place. Um, it may be different in the context of small organizations and small employers who maybe don't have such good advice from lawyers about what policies they should have. And so therefore they don't give the support to employees and the encouragement to use ADR to give the employee satisfaction if there's a grievance or some other, some other allegation of wrongful conduct by another employee. And the problem with that is if you don't encourage employees to feel they're being looked after and help to resolve their case, more cases are going to end up in a contested tribunal, hmm. which is going to take up the employer's time and money. Yeah. It, yeah. It's going to mean that one of their employees at least is probably less efficient uh, and less productive because they're going to be stressed and worrying about the case and not, not working effectively. So generally policies are good, but certainly in, in the case of smaller employees uh, at smaller companies, Sometimes the advice isn't there to help them use the policies to, to resolve disputes. Okay, all right, thank you. So why is ADR more prevalent or popular in the more complex societies um, in this context, UK, um, than, than in the less complex societies? In Africa, in Nigeria, because I know you have um, lots of um, knowledge in um, African dispute resolution as well, so. Um, well, I've done, quite a few cases where there have been court proceedings in African jurisdictions. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you have court proceedings um, and simultaneously you have an arbitration somewhere else or you have simultaneous court proceedings in more than one jurisdiction. So I have some familiarity with court procedures and the approach in Nigeria, for example, also some other countries. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I claim the knowledge and experience that a Nigerian lawyer would have, so I don't want to I don't want to suggest that I, I can substitute for any any uh, Nigerian qualified lawyer. Yeah. But um, I, I, it's interesting the way you put the question because um, I'm not sure that 
you know, the UK or, in, or, or European jurisdictions, for example, are more complex societies than, mm -hmm. than in yeah. Nigeria, for example. I think they're, uh, all societies are complex. And um, Nigeria, for example, is a very complex society because it has a, a very um, significant uh, historical and cultural complex yeah. uh, and context, which inform everyday life and they inform community. They inform how business is done. They inform how um, disputes are resolved. And then on top of that, you have influence and hangovers from um, you know, colonial periods when UK law was kind of imported into Nigeria, yeah. which is still there yeah. to some extent. Yeah. So I, I have to say, in the case of Nigeria and other, other African jurisdictions, that the complexity, if anything, is more than, mm. than the UK, because you have the combination of very long-standing um, historical culture and traditions, yeah. which are still there. You have a complex society with different um, cultures and religions living side by side, as you mm. do in the UK as well. Yeah. And then you have some English law uh, influence still remaining and having to be taken into account. Mm -hmm. um, I know in Nigeria, certainly ADR is popular because there's a lot of challenges in getting cases through the courts. Yeah. If you have a large case that you want to get all the way through the court to a trial, that can be, that can be many years um, to achieve, if at all, some cases... Uh, go on so long that they never reach a, a final conclusion in, in trial. So I know from speaking to, to friends and from my own experience that sometimes arbitration is used to avoid the de delays that there are in the, in the court system. Yeah. Um, in non-commercial matters, uh, I can't speak with the same level of experience. I'm not sure where Nigeria and other African jurisdictions are in terms of use of ADR in, in non-commercial matters but certainly i would say that in england um adr is is generally becoming more and more used across more and more types of disputes so attempting to avoid in in the case of employment disputes matters going before a tribunal but instead trying to resolve them consensually uh, i know for example that in some family disputes arbitration is now being used instead of going to court yeah. as a way of resolving, resolving issues. Um, so ADR is certainly becoming more prevalent in, in the UK. And if it's not already happening in Nigeria, I expect that may well also happen there as well. The important yeah. thing, obviously, is that, is that the system um, allows people to be properly represented, yeah. even if they're shall we say the smaller party or the less well-resourced party. So the employee as against the employer, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, All yeah. right, thank you so very much. So what I meant for the more complex society was in a research carried out by Elizabeth Grand. That was what mm. she, she meant by the more complex society and the less complex society as the developing countries and the developed countries. So Nigeria is a right. developing country and mm. she, she kind of, um um put that um as a less complex um society so, mm -hmm. so to make it more simpler it should have been you know if, if it's more popular in the less com um, in that's in the developing country yeah than it is in the developed countries mm -hmm. right. yeah All that's right. interesting Thank you so very much so what is the way forward for mass advocacy awareness 
of the benefits of utilizing ADR in settling disputes or conflicts in the workplace? I think um, ADR to resolve workplace disputes um, is something that there is a huge benefit to everyone for there to be very strong awareness of the availability of the use of, of ADR. Yeah. Because um, for employees, it ensures that they don't go down the road of fighting a case which it's not in their interests to fight. Hmm. Um, as I mentioned earlier, fighting a court process is a very stressful matter. And I can only imagine being an employee fighting a court case against your employer when in order to make a living, you still have to go to work. You know, you still got to be there. You still yeah. got to do your job. And yeah. yet at the same time, you're having a, having a fight. That, that can leave people with a very negative view of uh, the courts and dispute resolution processes. And I think it would help them if there were ADR procedures that they could feel confident in, where they got good advice, good representation, their employer took it seriously and engaged properly with trying to resolve the, the case. Um, and, that, and that resulted in fewer cases going to um, either an employment tribunal or of course, the other resort that a lot of employees go to, which is to take strike action. You know, in England at the moment, in the UK, we've got yeah. a lot of strike action going on, um, which everyone's very aware of. And I think that largely that represents the failure of ADR to make both sides feel that their interests are being properly and fairly represented and resolved through a consensual process. So in that situation, the employees through their union take more militant action. And it's bad for everyone. It's bad for the employees. They want to work. They don't want to uh, have to strike with all the, the stress and the uncertainty that involves. But then they also want their employers to treat them fairly and give them reasonable compensation for their work. Yeah. It's bad for everyone else because they're affected by the strikes and it interferes with their, with their life. So it's, it's hugely important um, to make everyone aware of, of the benefits of ADR. And the most important thing is to make them feel that an ADR process properly represents their interests and doesn't simply try to shut them up and push them to one side and leave them marginalized. That's the most important thing, I think. All right, thank you for your insight on this um, question. So the question eight is, um, can conflict or dispute at the workplace be prevented or avoided? Uh, I mean, conflict and disputes in the workplace can never be avoided entirely. Uh, we're all, we're humans, we're not robots. Sometimes people are gonna fall out with one another. They're gonna have disagreements. Sometimes people are going to feel um, victimized or discriminated against, even, even in, in the most enlightened workplace. It's going to happen. Um, sometimes it's unintentional. Sometimes it's because um, people don't understand one another or they don't work well together. It's, it's going to happen, but there's a huge difference between a well-organized, well-run workplace and a badly run workplace in terms of the disputes that arise because um, controlling disputes in the workplace starts a long time before there's a dispute. It, it's about having good policies, good training for managers and all the team members, 
It's about creating a culture of respect and understanding that means everybody feels they're part of the team um, and they they treat each other well and they're treated well and in, in an understanding way. And that means that if they feel that a problem is arising, they're more likely to talk about it rather than to do nothing, to wait and see what happens and then to allow it to build to the point where they then initiate a grievance or they bring a claim against their employer or something like that. Um, I know from being a, a disputes lawyer for a long time that once a big dispute starts, uh, often both parties dig in and they start making allegations against one another. For example, well, you were never, very, never a very good employee, you never worked very hard, yeah. or you always treated me badly and I've been discriminated against. Once that happens, it's really hard to come back yeah. and it's very hard to, to repair the relationship. So mm -hmm. if you have good policies and a good workplace culture yeah. in the beginning, you can you can minimize the disputes. Um, one thing I really enjoy, I sit on our, we have a, a, a board, a, a panel in my office yeah. that basically tries to help the firm to treat everybody fairly um, regardless of their uh, of their situation in the firm, their employment yeah. status, their their background, everything. Um, and it's a very rewarding thing because you hear a lot from people about what they're happy about, what they're unhappy about. Yeah. Um, and and when you get to hear about that early, something yeah. can be done before it develops into a into a mess. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So, what type of uh, mediation is best suited for workplace conflict? Um, I mean, mediation, the, the, the good thing about mediation is that it's totally flexible. Yeah. It, there's no right way of doing it. Um, and it, it depends enormously on the particular case. And I would almost say um, the type of mediation that's best for a workplace conflict depends on what type of workplace conflict it is. For example, is it, um, is it a case of two employees having a grievance against one, one another and needing to sort that out? Is it a case of an employee claiming unfair dismissal? So the relationship's ended and it's just a question of whether it was done properly or not. All of those things, even the personality of the people involved can affect the, the, the mediation process. But in mediation, it's great because you can, for example, if you want to, you can keep the parties totally separate. They never see each other. And yeah. you can have a mediator who shuttles between them and passes between them messages or communicates with each of them, speaks to each of them separately. And that can make a party feel very protected, which yeah. can be helpful if you have someone who feels vulnerable and feels like they might be taken advantage of if they expose themselves directly yeah. to the other side, for example, their employer. On the other hand, um, sometimes in mediation, you, you have a shared forum, sometimes at the beginning, sometimes at regular intervals, where both sides can speak directly to each other. And I have had, a number of clients in different types of cases who have really appreciated that opportunity to speak directly to the other person. Yeah. Sometimes um, lawyers forget that parties can feel a little bit like um, they're being shut off by their lawyers because everything yeah. has to go through the lawyers and they're yes. told by the lawyers, don't say anything because um, you might prejudice your own position. Let us speak for you because we'll always make sure that your interests are protected. In a mediation, because it's it should be entirely without prejudice, confidential, what you say shouldn't go any further than within the mediation. 
it allows lawyers to get out of the way sometimes and let their clients speak for themselves and let the other party hear it directly. And that can allow people to feel that they've at least had some closure. Yeah. They've had some opportunity to speak to the other party, which then means they're maybe a bit more willing to settle without having a, an actual day in court because they've, they've said their piece. So the style of mediation can, can vary enormously. I'm not sure if there's one particular type of mediation that's, that's best suited. It very much depends on the, the case. Okay. All right. Thank you so very much. So the final question is, um, mm. what is your advice for um, people or for persons um, pursuing a career or would want to pursue a career in ADR? Uh, my my own personal view, this is just a personal view, not yeah. everyone feels the same, yeah. but for me, ADR is an aspect of dispute resolution. Um, as I mentioned earlier, dispute resolution where you have someone or a, or a panel deciding the case, yeah. making a binding decision, and ADR of a kind where you're trying to agree are very different beasts. But I think... Pursuing a career in ADR really requires you to understand the whole dispute process, including the contentious side of things. You know, you need to know if a mediation doesn't reach a settlement, what's going to happen? How much is it going to cost? How long will it take? What arguments are going to be made? Um, what will be the cost and the time, the potential damage from doing it? For example, reputational damage, if it's public, um, which party is likely to win? You need to think about those things while you're doing a mediation because you need to advise your client well on what will be the consequences of not settling. Same if you're a mediator. You need to be helping the parties to understand what it's going to mean if they fail to settle and carry on with the case. And Sometimes you need to put that quite firmly mm -hmm. to make sure they're fully aware of what they're getting into. Um, so the skills in different types of ADR are very different. It's very different being a mediator from being a litigator, from being an arbitration lawyer, from being an arbitrator, to being an expert resolution um, practitioner or uh, a judge. But I do think all of those roles need to understand the dispute resolution process as a whole to be a good ADR practitioner. So I often say, before you're an arbitrator or before you're a mediator, practice in dispute resolution uh, in contentious matters Mm -hmm. um, at least as part of your practice, because that's a really important experience that then feeds in to, to your role as, a, as an ADR practitioner. Um, it, it's it's the, the bedrock on which it's built. And then from there, you apply different skills, which um, I think it, it, can, it can take advantage of the skills of a wider range of people. You know, yeah. some people say, I don't want to be a litigator. I don't want to yeah. argue for a living. Yeah. A mediator doesn't argue for a living. They need to understand the process, but they have very different skills. And sometimes yeah. you find people really blossoming and coming into their own when they start practices as a mediator compared to being a, a litigator. Yeah. Um, but, but for anyone who is wanting to pursue a career, do the foundation, get the bedrock, um, but keep a very open mind to all of the different types of ADR yeah. roles that there are available because no doubt it's a growing area no doubt there's opportunities to to do that for yeah. a career um, and and certainly 
Um, what's, what we're seeing is that the diversity of the types of people who are being ADR practitioners, mediators, arbitrators, their age group, um, for example, is widening significantly, um, which helps it to be a more accessible profession for, for everyone, which is really encouraging, I think. Oh, well, thank you so very much, Duncan, for providing a comprehensive um, overview on um, the current state of um, ADR and workplace conflict in France and, and UK. I truly appreciate your insights on this subject matter. And um, thank you once again for agreeing to come on the show. I'm just looking at the time now. And yes, to my listeners, um, um, thank you so very much for your constant support. Stay tuned same time next week for more episodes on ADR and workplace conflict. All right, cheers, bye-bye, take care. Thanks, Jimmy. Cheers, bye.